trying to achieve equality with the annihilation of category is not no, a successful that's, route. Yes, that's, that's, that's exactly right. We're in this era where it turns out we were never the boss. It doesn't look like an ideology. What's beneath the surface of people we admire, of the ideas that define our time, the history we are told? And welcome to Russell Brand. Under the Skin. Under the Skin is back. This is the trailer for Under the Skin with me, Russell Brand. And we've got some fantastic guests coming up over the course of this series. We're going to be starting off with Yuval Noah Harari next week and Charles Eisenstein the week after that. But we've got a whole host of exciting guests. Sorry for sort of stifling a burp in a trailer. That's the last thing you need. Uh, but we've got like movie stars like Jim Carrey's coming on it. That guy Gabor Mate, who's amazing in the world of addiction. We've got poets and writers and authors and extremists actually coming up because like it started off with me wanted to spread the academic experience I'd had from learning about religion in global politics among a wider audience and now I think I want to use under the skin so we can hear like why do people who look at the world differently from us look at the world differently from us they're not just cackling villainous folk enjoying malevolence for its own amusement I want to hear people that see the world differently from me and see what we can have in common but it's not just that it's not just people from the extreme left or extreme right or extremely spiritual or extremely conspiratorial it's also you know mainstream verified validated thinkers um, successful authors philosophers academics actors, writers, comedians. So here's a little bit of my conversation with Yuval Noah Harari. To know who are the powerful, where power is, and how does it function, it's very complicated. So do you I think mean, the power is concealed, true power, without getting too conspiratorial? Yeah, I mean, certainly in the modern world, for a couple of centuries, one of the main functions of power is to conceal power. There is kind of a law of history. Mm. If you don't have a lot of power, you try to exaggerate your power. If right. you have a lot of power, you try to conceal it. If you're a king in England in the 12th century, you don't have a lot of power. But you try to conceal your weakness by these extravagant displays of power. So you go with like a pile of gold on your head and you wear all these furs and pearls and every now and then you tell people, okay, cut off his head. Uh-huh. And that makes people feel, oh, he's very powerful. But actually, he's very weak uh, because the state is very weak. Then you move to the modern age and leaders and governments really have enormous amounts of power, but they want, don't want to attract too much attention to it. So, you know, they, they dress plainly like an ordinary person. Mm. And uh, they, mm. they live in a much lower life. I mean, they don't go about telling people, okay, cut off his head mm, mm. because they don't want to draw attention yes. to all that power. So a brilliant it's, point. It's very difficult to know where power really lies in, in the 21st century. Yeah. Pageantry conceals ordinariness. Our flags, our processions, all, these, all this pageantry, all this ritual, all this ceremony helps us to believe there is a United States of America. There is an England. It's not just a sort of an economic idea and a bit of land and some powerful people exploiting <laughs> the vulnerable. It's a thing. It's a flag. There's an eagle. There's a symbol. There's a history. It's real. But bit by bit, you unpick and you unstitch and you discover there's nothing there except some powerful people exploiting some people without power. That is your America. That is your England. That is your Israel, your Saudi Arabia, all just 
myths and stories so that the powerful can continue to exploit the powerlessness, whether it's a crown on a head or some stars and stripes on a flag. Here's a little tease of my conversation with Charles Eisenstein. To go back to the environmental topic, you often hear the phrase addicted to oil, addicted to fossil fuels, addicted to consumption. And it's used in disparaging tones as if we, as if we could shame people into ceasing their addiction. Well, you've been addicted before. How well does that work? <laughs> you know, to say shame on you, Russell, you know, you, you've, you better lock those bottles away and not touch them. Otherwise, bad things are going to happen to you. That doesn't work. That makes it worse. It makes it worse. So if we take the metaphor seriously, okay, we're addicted to oil. Why? What is the unmet need driving the addiction? Why all this ridiculous consumption that doesn't even hmm. serve human needs? What must it be? Fear? Power? What is it you think it is, the unconscious I think drive? It's, um, I think it's from disconnection. Disconnection is the mm -hmm. problem. Like why would someone accumulate millions and millions of dollars or pounds, et cetera, that they don't actually need, except that it gives them a feeling of security and belonging? If they were if they had a full complement of intimate relations to community and to nature, they wouldn't even want that. <laughs> I like the idea of saying that to some uh, CEOs of energy giants. If you had a full complement of relationships to other human beings and to nature, I don't think you'd be pushing so hard. For that's not what bill. you'd say. <laughs> I mean, it might be fun, but what you could say is, I know that you actually don't want this. I know that your wealth isn't making you happy. Hmm. And, and if you say that in a spirit of alliance and from the spirit of, I want you to be happier, I love you, and I feel bad that you're, you're futilely meeting, trying to meet your need for <laughs> intimacy. <laughs> Man, my well, brother. Bad for you. Know? You're futilely trying yeah. to meet your need. Because I'm like, yeah. I don't know if this is an example of my own ongoing naivety, but when mm. I'm having these conversations, I'm continually thinking, in, in my mind all the time, how are we going to do it? That's the, the thought that's never gone away. Mm -hmm. How are we going to do it? How is it going to happen? What are we going to do? When's it going to be? Which bits do you know how to do? Yeah. There's a few bits that I think I'm able to do. That's my ongoing inner monologue, which is usually interchangeable with delusional mental illness, which is an unfortunate component that I've noticed. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> relatively yeah. common. But you have such a good heart, you know, like even as that mental dialogue is going, you're also... I mean, this is just my, my intuition. You help people, maybe it's through humor, I don't know, but you help people, like you have a love for people that is infectious and it helps people love themselves more. Oh, good, thanks. And the changes that come from that are so much more powerful than from these bits of information of, okay, here's how you do it, here's how you do it. It's not that those are useless and not worth thinking about, but if they don't have the engine of, of, love of acceptance of oneself as a loving caring being then they are useless here's a bit of my conversation with blind boy from the rubber bandits yeah i see because in a way like the way that image systems and symbols are presented and which ones are given validity is how power operates this system of absurd ideas is valid this yeah. system of absurd ideas is invalid and if you look at it russell right the most absurd systems are are, are always um bolstered by the most amount of solemnity right Ooh, the two most nice. the that's a nice sentence the two most I'm absurd things. Again, the most absurd systems are bolstered by their what? 
By the by, um, the most absurd amount of no, by by the strongest amount of solemnity. Strongest amount of solemnity. Well, I liked that. But it's true. The two very very absurd things are religion and war. Right? Uh, religion is, is, I know you're a religious man, but telling a seven-year-old... I prefer the term religious nut. <laughs> Would you respect that? Telling a fucking seven-year-old child that your soul is a jam jar and you have to drink the blood of a 2,000-year-old carpenter and you have to eat his arm. Like, we were all taught that, you know? It's like, no, you're, this piece of bread here, it's not bread, it's, it's his fucking arm and you have to eat it, you cunt. And he's 2,000 years old and he's a carpenter. You're presented with this... It's the only way you can get someone to believe something that absurd is to be very solemn and serious around it. No room for humor, no room for critique. The yeah. other thing is, we've got a lot of oil out in the desert and we need you to sign up and give your life and be murdered and murder people for it. How do you do that? It's solemnity, rules, uh, hierarchies, uh, completely solemn. Point. I love this point because in a sense, have you not noticed even in, a, in, in perhaps in particular in childhood, the special... Uh, what do I want to say, rigidity that is applied when people are naughty and mischievous, yeah. the spirit of mischief, because it is recognised that the spirit of mischief eventually will go, I'm not fucking doing that. It yeah. reckon, like, I consider comedy to be the continual revelation of a d deeper truth that there is an absurdity in the, all of our beliefs and nothing should be exempted from that kind of, uh, from, from that kind of targeting. Here's a little bit of my chat with Loki the rapper. What is the nature of this dispute? What is the nature of this disparity between what I'm picking up, you're describing as a more educated, or, or to use a, a classical or conventional word, a more, uh, the more bourgeois aspect of the left and the uh, working class contingency. Yeah, and then also, an, it, this dispute? also right. a nationalist fold at the centre of it all as well. So the, it's it's not, I, I wouldn't characterise it as a dispute, although it does manifest as uh, confrontation and acrimony. I would characterise it as um, things getting lost in translation. So we currently think about culture as a sort of continuum where people uh, near the bottom are waiting to sort of graduate to become legitimate by virtue of their willingness to either conceal or renounce those traits which indicate who they actually are. Mm, yes. Whereas I see working class culture as a parallel culture mm. and in, in it there are many contradictions, eccentricities, lessons, there's a lot of wisdom, uh, there are things that are very distinct. I mean, I've been socially mobile enough in, in my life that I've mixed a lot across the ravine. So over the years, I've built up an understanding of some of these fault lines. And the, 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 the breakdown in communication often can come from simply uh, a difference in a sense of urgency or priority mm. or the words that someone uses. So what, what you might see is, what you might, uh, see is passion someone sees as aggression or pushiness mm, mm. or what you might see as polite, someone thinks is patronising. Yeah. And it's it's the combination of all of these little instances where people come away from an attempt to mingle across the ravine that, that just becomes natural to sort of recoil back to where it's comfortable, where people agree. Whereas I like to be on the line. I'm more comfortable in the middle. I come from a working class background. I'm passionate about it. But even back then in my youth, 
There would be people trying to police how I spoke, the words that I use, the things that I was interested in, a very rigid idea about what a young man should be. And I mm. resented that and challenged that. But then at the same time, on the other side, then even just the things that I want to talk about, the way that I want to frame it, it's changing now because I've kind of been co-signed by a few legitimate people. Now it's yeah. a bit like, oh, this way, Mr. McGarvey. But beforehand, it was very, it was very much a struggle. I had to kind of manipulate my way into middle class spheres, like stop wearing a hoodie, start wearing a blazer, wear a pair of glasses instead of a baseball cap, and uh, and learn to talk like middle class people. Where I learned that for them, that's a sort of form of currency, not necessarily being clever, but sounding clever, and. And the minute that I sort of picked up on that, that's when I became more socially mobile than perhaps my education would have allowed me to be. You make some good points there. One of the things I recently learned about the way that hegemony is constructed is with the imposition of a narrative and of a language within it. And the way I, I learned it when I'm doing this course at university, they said that the way that the Western world or so-called secular world deals with Islam or Middle Eastern countries is with the assumption that there's a, a narrative that Islam has to go through that will conform to what a post uh, like that that, that that Christian history has been through, like yeah. i.e. Protestantism and Catholicism and secularization. When, as you when you were describing working class culture, then said it's a parallel narrative yeah. that there is there is a separate. Islamic narrative there's a separate working class narrative and you don't have these things needn't necessarily conflate and certainly uh, what you would call I suppose secondary or sub narratives it can't be subsumed into the inverted commas dominant narrative yeah. so like yeah I, I like that mate what you said that you have to even on the level of like the, the way that you accessorise pop on a pair of specs instead of a baseball cap to be more yeah sort of identifiable yeah. So please join us uh, next week for the first episode with uh, Yuval Noah Harari. He's a fantastic guest. It's a wonderful conversation. And let us know who you'd like to have with the, uh, within the comments and likes. Give us five stars. Keep, keep, keep us high on the rankings of iTunes or Android or wherever it is you're receiving this. And uh, do subscribe, please, because it really helps us when you subscribe and gives us more algorithmic power with which we can unravel the very forces that set up algorithmic power <laughs> oh the paradox well thanks all of you and look forward to being with you next week for under the skin bye <laughs>